0: morning church family, friends, guests, uh, welcome. I'm so glad you guys are here. Turn with me to the book of Romans uh, chapter 12. We're gonna be looking at the first eight verses in the book of Romans chapter 12. So turn there, um, as you're turning there, I wanna say a great deal of gratitude and thank you uh, for this opportunity. This is always um, a humbling opportunity uh, to stand before you and divide the word of God and I take that very seriously. And so I have two rules for myself when I do this to talk about Jesus as much as possible and get you guys out of here early. <laughs> I got the Jesus part down pretty good, but you guys are gonna have to listen fast because we have got a lot of material to cover and a short period of time to do it, but I gotta get the two things down. So let's get started in the book of Romans, chapter 12, and I'm gonna read the first eight verses to us this morning, and then we're gonna talk, talk more about them. So let's read in Romans 12, starting in verse one. He says, Paul says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, ...to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For that by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment... the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of service with cheerfulness. Pray with me as we continue. God, I simply pray this morning that this time that we're going to spend together in the next few minutes in your word that would be honoring and pleasing to you, that would be edifying and uplifting to us, that, that what we hear and do this morning together would not stay in this room, but would go out into this community, into this state, into this country, into the world that we live in, so that your name might be made famous because of what happens here this morning. And I pray that all in Jesus' name, amen. So if you were God, and you had all the right and all the power, to give the gift of faith in whatever proportion you please, to give all the grace needed and all the gifts needed, and it was your will that your people be strong in faith and they become perfect in love. Wouldn't you just do it? Wouldn't you just, just do it just like that? Just give everyone great faith and launch them in a straight line to where you wanted them to go. Just move them beyond their imperfections right into perfection, just like that. If you could, wouldn't you? I think that's what I would do. And I was thinking about this text this week, and it made me think about my son Tucker. He's eight years old. Eight-year-olds get loose teeth. And he had a loose tooth over these past couple of weeks. And his philosophy on loose teeth is you don't touch those things until they come out all by themselves. Even if it's dangling like with a thread, this thing, you don't touch it. Don't touch it. Now, my daughter, she's the she's the, the child that if it gets a little loose, you tie some dental floss around it and attach that to a Nerf dart and shoot it out with a Nerf gun. Our kids are totally different. So we were kind of in the final stages of the tooth falling out on its own with Tucker last week. And it's just dangling and it's painful. And every time he does anything, just breathes, it wiggles and it hurts. And so he's just complaining, oh, it hurts, it hurts. And so I, you know, being the good dad that I am, just get down on the knee, hey, buddy, listen, man, I'm telling you, I know it hurts, and but if I were you, I would just... I just go ahead and pull that thing out of there so it'll quit hurting. You know, that's, that's what I would do if I were you. He kind of ponders it for a second. He looks back at me and says, well, Dad, I'm sure glad you're not me. <laughs> okay, good point. And I think that's what God says to me, though, when I say I would just zap people into perfection. I think he says, well, if that's the way that you would do the work of sanctification, that's just another reason among many you're not me. God doesn't do it that way. Why not, though? It seems like the way that we would do it, right? We've even kind of gotten mad at him sometimes for not doing it that way. Just boom, overnight, microwave perfection, microwave sanctification. But there are reasons why God doesn't take every individual in a straight line, shooting them from inception to perfection like that. And we all know that the reason he didn't do that is not because he can't. This text makes very clear that God has the right and the ability to give us the level of faith that he pleases and the degree of grace that he pleases and the kind of gifts that he sees fit. There are other reasons that he doesn't give us all the same amount of faith and all the same degree of grace and all the same gifts. I think we will see at least one of those this morning. Now, I think there are a multitude of reasons why, given that he's God and the world is complex But I think this text gets to to one reason why God doesn't do it that way, and it has to do with the nature of the body of Christ, Uh, the the way God aims to be glorified corporately and not just individually. So we're going to unpack that. God absolutely knows us individually, right? He made us that way. He knows every single hair on our heads. But I think we'll see in the text Today, that God's view of the church is not a bunch of individual people on their own journeys toward individual perfection, but rather a a gathering of his people on their own, uh, coming together, pushing forward toward a corporate perfection. So if your view of this life is each individual moving on their own solitary line toward individual perfection, you may find yourself frustrated with God when you're, you're line isn't going as fast as you want it to go, or if it's not going the way that you thought that it should, but if you have in mind that this idea of moving toward perfection is a corporate reality, um, that God isn't just after individual perfect people, one here and and one there, but he's after a corporate Christ-likeness that may get tangled and messy and be a lot slower, uh, we, we, we have to get our minds around this process, that it's it involves our work on each other, not just God's work on us as individuals. Um, so if we get to that place and come to that understanding, then we might back off and, and not say things like, God, well, I would do it this way. Um, and say maybe God has some other plan in mind that I haven't even thought of yet, and there's a really good chance it's better than my plan. And so let's look at verse 3 for a second together. It says, for by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, I think this verse is the main point of verses three through six here. The point being, don't think more highly of yourselves than you ought to think, but we should have sober judgment about our own faith and grace and gifts. And I want to stop and hang out on this sober judgment for a minute this morning because what exactly is that? What exactly is sober judgment? We know specifically from this text it's the opposite of thinking too highly of ourselves. It's the opposite of that. But what is it? Um, the Christian Standard Bible, another um, translation says, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think, instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. I think that's what really Paul is driving at here. He is imploring us to think rightly about ourselves in the light of the grace that we have received from God. Because the the main point of this overall text that we're going to talk about today moves us on towards spiritual gifts in verses 6-8. through So we begin using our gifts to minister to each other so that the body is built up. But this right thinking that Paul is talking about in verse three is very important to the exercise of our gifts. So, in other words, Paul is really concerned about the way that we think or the, the mindset that we have. Uh, this is not surprising because in verse two, every familiar, uh, a very very familiar verse, every one of us knows this, uh, that says, "Do not be conformed of this world or to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." So the renewing of our mind is important in verse 3. And then verse 3 says sober judgment. So Paul is saying use this, this new mind to not think too highly of yourselves, but to think sensibly. So you've got a renewed mind in verse 2, and then I think you have a specific instance of that renewed mind in verse, think, verse 3. And so how you think about yourself, about grace, about faith, about gifts, how you think about those things will make a significant difference on how you exercise them and how the body grows and is built up. And so the aim of this renewed mind and right thinking and sober judgment is the right use of our gifts for the sake of the body of Christ. And that's the point of verses six through eight. It says this, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith and so on. And so we must think sensibly about the fact that our faith comes in different measures if if we uh, want to exercise our gifts well for the good of the body. We must not think too highly, but with sober judgment about our gifts and our grace and our faith, if we're going to use our gifts in humility and love and effectiveness for the body. One thing that comes to mind when I was thinking about this is um, religious pride or self-righteousness. It's easy for church people like us to to fall prey to thinking that we're somehow better than other people because we're Christians, like somehow we've been enlightened, um, or even worse, that we are better than other Christians because of particular gifts that God's given us. Uh, And so in order to avoid these things, I want us to focus on this morning, uh, what is this sober judgment, this sensible thinking of verse three? But before we get there, I want to say, although we're in Romans this morning, Pastor Jim has been taking us on a faithful journey through the book of Acts. Um, So we're in a series of messages about the church, about the body of Christ, and our goal is to to discover what it means to be the church in our current culture, in our current community, around the world. Here at Hillcrest, what does it mean to be the church, to do church? And so that raises a couple questions, I think. Is church mainly a series of events that we come to and listen Or is church mainly a series of gatherings where we meet to minister? Now, I say mainly because I don't think the answer is either or. I think there are listening events in the church, like this one, that are healthy and beneficial, even necessary. But I think from what we have seen in the book of Acts and what we will see today, that the main meaning of doing and being church is meetings to minister, not meetings to listen Which means what goes on during this time that we have together this morning and every Sunday morning is not all that there is. And maybe not even the main thing that's needed. Now don't get me wrong, what we do in here on Sunday mornings is vital and necessary. But there's a doing of ministry in various forms and gatherings where each of you with your specific grace and gifts ministers uniquely to someone else in the body gives a unique witness to the world, gives a unique glory to God that doesn't happen sitting in this room. That ministry is what church is, and this gathering is an equipping event, a mobilizing, motivating, stirring up event that isn't an end in itself, and to come here and listen isn't to have done church. Because the danger there is we do church on Sunday morning and then we go off and do the rest of our lives as though it has nothing to do with church. To boil it down, church is every member growing in the ability to minister a unique grace to others in the body, a unique unique witness to those outside of the body and a unique glory to God. This is the lens through which we can view and evaluate how we function in the body of Christ as individuals, as family members, as members of a connect group, as workers at your job. How are we functioning as members of the body? And I hope that's our view as we continue on in our series in Acts next week. And I hope it's, um, that this message today further solidifies that understanding. So let's get back to the question of the day. What is this sober judgment or right thinking in verse 3? So I want to try to sum it up and then unpack it with three observations from the text. Um, And so the essence of this right thinking um, is that it is the opposite of pride. That's the first thing you see in verse 3. Don't think more highly than you ought to think, but have sober judgment. So the first thing that you can say about the expression of the renewed mind is that the action of the renewed mind is humility, the opposite of pride. It's a mindset that is permeated by the awareness that grace is a gift our faith is a gift and all of our gifts are freely given to us by God the mindset that is filled with the fact that God is the giver of those things and we are not and so this profoundly affects the way that we think if we come to this understanding it reminds us that our differences are his doing and may never be the ground for disagreement or boasting but only of unity in the body So in short, right thinking or or sober judgment is is having the clear understanding that God is the giver of grace, faith, and gifts. So we have no room for boasting in our individual selves, but only in Christ. And I think that's what Paul is trying to get get in our heads so we uh, might serve each other rightly. Because if we don't get that right, serving as a member of the body won't ever work. And so let's look at how Paul unpacks this in three ways. Uh, Paul, um, first he unpacks this idea of sober judgment by giving himself as an example in verse 3 of, of humble thinking about his ministry. Uh, verse 3 starts like this, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. In other words, before Paul gives an instruction here concerning how they ought to think and how they ought to act, Um, He becomes aware that what he's doing might be very presumptuous. After all, he's never been to Rome. He's never met these people, and he's about to tell them how they should think and how they should act. And so what right really does he have? And this is his answer. Uh, I am speaking by the grace given to me. Paul's going, hey, listen, I didn't choose to be an apostle. I was assaulted by grace on the Damascus Road. It rescued me. From my darkness and destruction, it brought me into this office called Apostle, and that office gave me authority and, and grace and love to minister to you and so he 's saying, "I do not speak from myself, I speak from Christ. Grace is why he 's speaking to them and just a side note, if anyone could think highly of himself, wasn 't it Paul? I mean he was a renowned theologian, a church planner, an old Testament scholar, yet here he is reminding us not to think highly of ourselves his First way is to model for the church this mindset of right thinking. Right thinking, uh, namely that I recognize that everything I am and do is by grace. Paul goes on later on in Romans to say this again. He does the same thing in Romans 15:15, 15, 15. Uh, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace. Given me by God. It's the same phrase as our passage today. His boldness is not flowing from some innate right or gift, but from the grace God has given to him so lavishly. So, what Paul is preaching and teaching to those in Rome was from an overflow of grace in his own life. He was acting in the authority and power of another, and so he could not think of himself more highly, but only of the wonderful grace he had received. You know, I think Paul places such an emphasis on grace, not only in the book of Romans, but throughout his writings, because it caused such a huge change in his own life. Paul had staked the the entire first part of his life on the law, on knowing it, on living it, on requiring others to follow it. And then he had this encounter on the Damascus Road, and it completely changed his whole world. And he just can't quit talking about it. And so he's writing these letters to these churches. And verse 6 shows um, that he's putting himself in the same category of all the other believers. It says uh, in verse 6 in chapter 12, And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. It's the same uh, phrase from verse 3, given to me. Um, so first, verse 3, Paul's saying, I speak through the grace given to me. And then in verse 6, he says, you minister because of the grace given to you. So we're all in the, the same category here ministering as as members of the body of Christ is not reserved for some elite team of people but we are all in the same category we are all recipients of grace and what we are we are by grace nobody should think of themselves highly in this regard grace means god gives and we receive and we don't boast in ourselves for that the only reason we have any of us have gifts is because of grace And Paul is very aware of that in this writing because we we deserve nothing but the wrath of God. But yet he has withheld nothing good from us. He has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. And those blessings, those gifts aren't to be kept to ourselves. We are never saved in isolation. We are always saved to be a part of the body and our gifts are for the benefit of the body. So I want to talk for just a second about um, some of the effects that this mindset has on you and I in our day-to-day life, how we function um, as members of the body. First, it, it gives peace of mind, and here's why. Grace means that God is for us and not against us. If you are what you are by the grace of God and you have your role in the body of Christ according to grace, then it's what's best for you and for the body. And you can rest in God's goodness. Grace means what he gives you is good for you. Grace, rightly understood, means that God is on your side. And I can't imagine anything that gives more peace of mind than that, that the God of heaven is on your side. Now, it may not be the gift that you would ask for. It may not be the level of faith you would ask for. It may not be uh, the means of grace you would have chosen. But it's good for you because God loves you. Grace gives peace of mind. You can find rest in him. You can say, okay, if I am what I am by the grace of God and I am called to minister from this place, then I will rest. I will not be anxious. I will not fret. I will not compare myself to the person sitting next to me. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But grace also makes us humble. Grace not only means God is for you, it also means you didn't do anything to earn or deserve the fact that he's for you. It's free, and therefore it humbles us. Romans 11.6 says, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. By definition, grace is means what you have you did not earn, and therefore you can't boast. The only proper response to grace is humility. And so right thinking or sober judgment means that your thinking is flooded with this awareness that everything you have, everything that you are, is grace from God, freely given. And so not only are we given peace, not only are are we to become humble, Um, But we have power, peace, humility, and now power because it's God's grace. God's grace is powerful, and the reasons it's powerful is because it's God's. God's grace is not tolerancy or leniency for sin. God's grace overcomes sin. Grace is a power that moves into your life. It lifts you, it strengthens you, it holds you, it moves through you to others so that power is flowing now. Grace is God's presence in you, freeing you so that you may work and serve in the body of Christ for his glory. We don't have to muster up our own energy, our own courage to use these gifts. God gives them to to us and then empowers us to use them. If your gift is teaching, when you lead a connect group or teach a children's class, God's power will work through you. If your gift is administration, when you use it to help organize a ministry event here at Hillcrest, God's power will work through you and bless the people who are coming to that event. If your gift is hospitality, when you welcome people here to Hillcrest on a Sunday morning, God's power will allow his spirit to greet those people here. I don't know about you, but I get chill bumps when I think about the power of God flowing freely through our church, out into our community, and around the world. It makes me want to jump off the stage and run around this building. But that would be weird. And we don't have time for it. So that's the first way that Paul shows what sober judgment is in verse three, by giving himself as an example of a grace recipient. And sometimes I forget, I think we forget that that's who we are, that we are grace recipients. And Paul starts off, before he ever tells anybody how to think or act, he reminds them of who they are as a grace recipient. That's such an important reminder for us. We forget that. He he says that everything he speaks, everything that he does in ministry, he does because he has been given grace with all of its peace, humility, and power, which all those things are for God. They're, They're from God and for him. And then he goes on to illustrate the humility of this sober judgment by teaching us that faith is a gift. And so let's read verse three one more time. Um, it says, For by grace, uh, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And so if you come to terms with the fact that your measure of faith is a gift of God, no matter the measure, you will, you will be thinking with sober judgment, what Paul would say, about yourself. Um, you won't be thinking too highly than you ought, more highly than you ought. If you, but if you reject the truth that the measure of faith that the, is a gift from God, uh, you won't be thinking rightly of yourself and of your faith and, and your grace. Now, now, people in the church in Rome and even some today will say, well, grace, grace may be a gift, but, but faith is my act by which I receive grace. And it's, if it's big or little, that's, that's my doing. And therefore, I, I may think high or low of myself based on my level of faith. But I'm not sure we really can get that from this text. Paul would say that's not thinking with sober judgment. Um, that is thinking more highly than you ought to think. Um, let me be clear. Faith is indeed an act of the human heart. Faith is something we do as much as it is something we have. But according to our text today, it is first a gift from God. And verse three, he says, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. God gives grace, and God gives the faith to receive the grace. All boasting is excluded here. And to grasp this is to be freed from thinking more highly of ourselves than we should think, and we should think with sober judgment, Paul says. And someone might say, well, yes, perhaps God gives faith once at the beginning of all, all his people, but, but the difference in our faith." are our, our own doing. Uh, whether we have small faith or another has large faith, it, it's not God's doing. Uh, but I would again point us back to the text here in verse 3, uh, and then going back to the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible says it this way, God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Um, literally, it means to each as God measured a measure of faith. And so this clear meaning is that God gives different measures of faith to different people. This is mentioned back uh, ahead in verse 6 as well when he lists the gifts beginning with prophecy. Paul says, let each exercise his gifts accordingly, if prophecy according to the portion of his faith. So this is a reference back to the measure of faith that each is given by God in verse 3. Faith is a gift from God. And that's good news for us. And so Paul shows us that sober judgment is... This thinking that is filled, that's permeated by the fact that we are who we are by the grace of God. Grace comes from God. We didn't earn it. We don't merit it. It's given to us. And then he tells us that we have differing measures of faith in the church, the body of Christ. And all those differences are from God. They're designed by God to be that way. Both the grace and faith are a gift. And so we can't think more highly of our Selves because it's all grace. 1 Corinthians, First Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 7 says, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? All that we have is from God, and, and he gives that to us because he loves us immeasurably. And so studying this text this week made me think about all the gifts in my life. And as I started to think, it went from 2 or 3 to 5 or 6 to 10 or 12, and we don't have time for me to read all of those things. But, uh, man, just a few. My, my, my faith is a gift. My, uh, the grace that I've received is a gift. My wife and my children are gifts. My home is a gift. This church is a gift to me. Everything is a gift. My suffering is a gift. My frustrations are gifts. My shortcomings, my parent fails, my disappointments, they're all gifts. Because God loves me, and he works everything together for good because he has called me according to his purpose. Everything is a gift, and so there's no room for boasting except in the Lord. And finally, Paul shows us what sober judgment is by telling us, and this is where I want to really land the plane today, um, taking this away, that, that Paul tells us that sober judgment um, is telling us that our gifts differ by God's design, and we should relate as parts of a body, not contestants in a game. Hear that again. Our gifts differ by God's design. He gave us different gifts on purpose, so we should relate as, a, as parts of a body, not contestants in a game. So if you have much, no, it's because you are to serve downward. If you have little, it's, uh, it's because you are to grow upward through the service of others, and then go and give that to others. So we don't have to be puffed up in the gift that you have or depressed in the gift that you have. The point of our text today is to give glory to God for all that he's given no matter the measure. The first part of verse six says, having gifts di- having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So you have gifts. All of us have gifts and they differ from the person sitting next to you. God is A God of diversity. He means for these things to be different. He doesn't mean for us to be the same. God differentiates the gifts and the grace and the faith so that he is the one who gets the glory. Verse 4 and 5 says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. I just love that he puts this in the context of a body and not a contest. Because if you're in a contest, your differences are highlighted because you're trying to beat each other. The one who might have the stronger or faster gifts will win. And you beat the person. You get the blue ribbon and they get whatever color the second place team gets. I don't know what, the, I don't know what that is. Um, but now in the body, it doesn't work that way. The ear doesn't try to beat the eye or the... The hand doesn't try to beat the foot. They're all teaming up together to get the whole body across the line, to get the whole body out of danger, to get the whole body into reward. The point of the body is that differentiated gifts don't compete. They minister to one another. And that's what comes from not thinking highly of ourselves, but thinking with sober judgment. That grace and faith and gifts are never a ground for self-exaltation, but only God-exaltation. So let me get back to the question I began with. If God has the right and ability, which he does, to, per- to perfect us all, to bring us to great faith and perfect love just like that, why doesn't he do it? Why doesn't he just take an individual like Dan Davis and zap me with his transforming power so that tomorrow morning I wake up perfect, never a sin in my life, never a moment of irritability or anger out of my mouth, total service, total humility, Total graciousness, no flaws, period, to which Rachel Davis says, Amen. Um, God could do that. He's God. So why doesn't He do that? And the answer I think we've seen is that we are we aren't just solitary individuals on a path of individualistic perfection. We are a body. And God's means for this body not to be a collection of Lone Ranger Christians moving in straight lines towards separate perfections. He means for all of the different measures of grace and faith and gifts that He has bestowed on us here at Hillcrest and all around the church, the church around the world, to flow in and out of each other in such a way that we build each other up toward corporate Christ likeness. This made me think of a time. Again, I'm going to tell another Tucker story here, but you'll have come to notice we have more Tucker stories than anything else in our family. Um, a few months ago, um, he was at school playing dodgeball, and he dove to catch the ball because that's how we play sports in the Davis family. All in. Um, but unfortunately, this time the ground was all in too, and it prevailed. And so we got the call from the school. You know, guy, you your parents know the call. You know, hey, Mr. Davis. Um, can you come to the school, please? So I get there, and he's hurt. He's crying, has been crying for a while. And so we load him up, take him to the ER, and go get an x-ray. And sure enough, he's got a fractured clavicle. I don't know. Brutal, right? Eight-year-old with a fractured clavicle. I mean, what, what could be worse? But honestly, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, it's just a fracture. That's that little hairline crack thing in a bone that, you know, should heal up in no time. Could be worse, right? So they send us out of the ER with a, a sling and an appointment for an orthopedic Doctor in a couple of days, no big deal. Man, Tucker is being tough as nails. I was so proud of him, handling the pain so good. And a couple of days go by, and we head on into the orthopedic to see what's going on, and they take us back and do the regular routine, and uh, we're gonna do an x-ray for our records and get a look at that. And this, my friends, is when I get an education about what the word fracture means. Because the image that popped up on the screen was not a tiny hairline crack. It was a really vivid image of his little collarbone that looked like this. So we were in shock. I thought about bringing the x-ray in to put up on the screen for you guys to see, and I'm like, oh, that may not be good. But wait, there's more. This is really when it gets crazy, and I think it really ties back into what we're talking about today. So we make our way back into the room. We're waiting on the good doctor. We're sitting there in shock, of like that's not a fracture, and if it is, I was confused. Um, and so we're waiting on him to come in, and and thinking about all the the terrible things that are going to happen. So he he comes in and starts talking to Tucker. He's just great, talking to him about what happened and the pain he's feeling and how things are going to get better. And it's it's just doing great, man. And we're 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 sitting there nervously, you know. And um, the doctor looks back up at us, and he goes, "Well, the good news is." Um, we don't need to do any surgery, anything like that, actually. He'll just need to wear this sling for a few weeks and take it easy and just let this thing heal right back up. I'm thinking in the back of my mind, sweet, we just saved thousands of dollars. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I'm mad I was confused about a fracture, but I'm actually kind of glad now. Um, but what came out of my mouth was like, wait, wait, you know, my son's broken. I don't know if you saw that x-ray or not, but the bones are like doing this. Um, you're not going like, to go in there and just fix that right up, and it seems like the easiest, quickest way to put things back together so they work right as fast as possible, right? Well, apparently there's a reason I'm not a doctor. Because he went on to explain because of his young age and all the growing and tra- changing he still has to do that um, his body will actually heal itself. Um, he said that, that the body really almost immediately starts for- forming this ball of calcium around the broken bone and just calcium and calcium builds up and builds up and builds up over time. It just builds up into this ball. And as he grows and his bones grow and all those things, it starts to just smooth it out and stretch it out and actually will grow right back out to where it was supposed to be when he's a full-grown adult and probably even be stronger than it was prior to the break, which at this point I'm sitting there going, what? That's incredible. So then the doctor says this. Don't miss this. Um, We just have to wait and let the body do what it was designed to do, take care of itself. I'm thinking, wow, that's exactly, that's exactly what Paul is saying here to us. We aren't a bunch of individuals trying to make things work on our own. We, aren't, we, we are all parts of a body, a body that was designed to work together, to take care of itself, especially when something is broken or needs attention. Sometimes the result is a painstakingly slow process. I would have given anything to just fix my son just like that. Put a screw in that thing, a couple days of therapy, we're good. But that's not how the body was designed to work. The doctor actually told us that would make it worse in the long run to fix it like that. Sometimes the result is painstakingly slow, slower than we think it should be. But the final product is a body that functions the way it is designed to function. When the body takes care of itself, it is immeasurably better because each part didn't act independently and ignore the other parts, but instead used its differing gifts, interlocking with one another all the parts of the body to serve the greater body. Now, God could get it done faster. We've already established that, right? But he's apparently doing something different than what we think he should do. God gives some more so you can be the calcium in this body to rally around those who are broken and need building up and to build them up and strengthen them and make them right again. And then those who have been built up can go and heal and help the ones who need help, who are broken and hurting. See, God didn't make us to walk alone straight ahead towards some imagined individualistic ideal. But he made us to function as an active member of a living body called the church. He made you to live in close proximity to other people so that you are affected by them and they are affected by you in ways that make this collective body of believers more like Christ. So when the body of Christ at Hillcrest is growing and working in this way, involved in each other's lives and bearing each other's burdens and ministering to each other's needs, we will bring God more glory than any other way. And I believe that God has been and will continue to do this here at Hillcrest for His glory. He will continue to measure out undeserved grace, faith, gifts to us according to His sovereign plan. And so I want to close with this. Don't miss these lavish gifts from God freely given to you and me. Don't miss them. Maybe for the very first time today you've come to realize that you've never understood the the greatest grace that God has ever sent, and his name was Jesus. Maybe for the very first time today, you've come face to face with the reality that you need Jesus. That's a reality that all of us come face to face with. We are created in God's image to give him glory and to tell the world about him, but that image got messed up because of sin, and we're all in that camp. But God, by his grace, has sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life that we cannot live, to die a brutal death that we could not bear, but then to be raised again on the third day to give us life eternally with God. And that can be yours today if it's not already by placing your faith in him. There are gonna be pastors right down here at the front this morning, we're gonna close in a song and we would love to answer any questions you have. We would love to pray with you. We would love to see God do a work in you. And if you're in this room and you've done that, you've placed your faith in Christ, you have followed him with your life, you've committed to be a disciple of Jesus, think about the things we talked about this morning. Think about how you're thinking. Are you thinking sensibly? Do you have a sober judgment about the grace and the faith and the gift that God has given you? And are you exercising those gifts right here at Hillcrest in a way that builds up the body of Christ, that functions in the way that it's designed to function? Because here's the deal, guys, we're a body. And if one part's not functioning like it's supposed to function, the body doesn't function like it's supposed to. And we are functioning as the body of Christ for God's glory, not for our own. We are coming together for a corporate Christ likeness. And so consider those things this morning. Consider if you need to come and place your faith in Christ for the very first time. Consider are you thinking rightly about yourself and your faith, your grace, your gifts, and are you exercising those ways in in an effective way here in the body of Christ? Let's pray together.